I would like to just share along the line of probably what has been dealt with before, but I hope I won't be redundant. I would like to speak on the subject of when God hides his face, when God hides his face. If you could be turning to uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17, that's where we'll begin, more of a launching pad perhaps than a, than a text. If I've kept up with the numbers correctly, we've, we've been praying unitedly for 912 days. This is the 912th day for a revival of religion and for the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth, <clears throat> to borrow the wording of Jonathan Edwards. I think we would all agree that we have not yet experienced what would be called a, a copious outpouring of the Holy Spirit, such as has transpired in the glory days of the past with Whitfield and Edwards, Wesley, and a number of others. <clears throat> And so I don't think it's stretching it to say that it is as if God is still hiding his face from us. <clears throat> so this, this morning, I'd like to just answer the question, what are we to do? What are we to do in the meantime? Isaiah 8, verse 17, and I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. We are to wait upon him. We are to, as Stephen mentioned in a recent uh, devotional uh, printed, we are to give him no rest until he make Zion a, a joy in the earth. As Andrew Murray has said, if others don't do it, let us give ourselves doubly to it. Let us give ourselves doubly to it. <clears throat> While we are waiting, there's two things that come to my mind that I hope will be a blessing and help us today. Number one, while we're waiting on God to pour out his spirit and to show his face, let us meditate more on what it means to seek God's face, to seek his glory. I hope we all agree that our greatest need is more face time with God. As writer Daniel Henderson says in an excellent book on transforming prayer, maybe you're familiar with that. But uh, it's interesting that the social media platform that Mark Zuckerberg created in 2004 is called Facebook. It's not called Handbook. It's not Footbook. It's not even a workbook. It's called Facebook. The need is to connect with one's face, not just hear words. I think most pediatricians around the world would agree they de decry surrogate child raising by using mobiles and music makers and videos to babysit little children. There is no substitute for FaceTime with mother. No substitute for FaceTime. Surely this is true spiritually. And this is God's command that we seek his face. <clears throat> I think of Matthew 7, 7 and 8, where Jesus instructs us about prayer, and when I get back into my pulpit, this will be the text I'll be preaching from. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. Is there a progression there? I think perhaps there is. We ask for God's gifts, don't we? We ask for things. 
But seek is the word God uses for himself. We are to seek God. We are to seek his face. And then when we knock, we are admitted into intimate fellowship with him and he with us. And of course, no discussion of this matter would be complete without mentioning Psalm 27, verses 8 and 9. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. And it's interesting, the very next verse says, Hide not thy face from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. I think what we're doing today and have been doing for 912 days goes a long way with helping each other in prayer. The Apostle Paul appealed to people to help him by praying for him. I think of the experience related by the late great evangelist, Presbyterian evangelist, J. Wilbur Chapman, greatly used of God in, in the pastorate in several places in, in America, but also in evangelism. In the year 1911, he was uh, having revival missions in England. He came to a place called Shrewsbury, and not much was happening. He was disappointed that even some pastors who had earlier on shown an interest in promoting the revival mission, uh, now they were backing out. They, they were not... Uh, interested in helping. But then he heard that an American missionary to India who was convalescing in England by the name of John Hyde, we know him as Praying Hyde, he heard that John Hyde was in the area. And so John Hyde began to pray, <clears throat> and immediately the tide turned, and 50 men in one service stepped out and said, we are claiming Christ as our Savior as he and Charles Alexander, his uh, song leader, who was famous, of course, along with uh, Ari Torrey, they worked together. But as Alexander and Chapman were leaving uh, England, he said, could I come and pray with you, John Hyde? So they came into John Hyde's room. And uh, Hyde tells the story how that as soon as he turned the key in the latch, they dropped to their knees, <clears throat> and it was five minutes before Hyde said a word. I don't know about you, but if that happened at my church in Raleigh, if we asked somebody to pray and he waited five minutes before he said a word, it would be boring. It would be spooky. Not one, not one word in five minutes. And then when Hyde did speak, all he said was, Oh, God. Oh, God. And then he waited five more minutes. And by this time, the, he knew he was in the presence of God. The tears were coursing down both their cheeks. And Hyde put his arm around J. Wilbur Chapman. And from his heart, there came a torrent of requests and burdens for men to be saved. And Chapman's assessment of that meeting was, I prayed with many people. But that was when I learned what true prayer was. And since then, we've gone around the world and seen what God does through prayer. I think we help each other out in that regard, even with, with what we're doing now. We share the burden. I don't know about you, but when I find out somebody who knows how to get a hold of God, I latch on to them. I latch on to them. I want their help in prayer. Sometimes God does hide his face from his people, doesn't he? 
They do not sense his manifest presence. Oh, we know he's present with us. He's where two or three are gathered together in his name there. Jesus is in the midst of us. He inhabits the praises of his people. We read in Psalm 22. Well, let's face it, the joy, the, the fervor, the power, the melting of hearts under the word and under the spirit. They've sunk to a low ebb. Would to God we would sense this in its earliest stages and nip it in the bud before some spiritual emergency arises. And we, like Samson of old, go out and shake ourselves, but wish not that the Spirit of God is departed from us. We see this often repeated in the Old Testament, that God would hide his face from Israel. The first mention of the hiding face of Yahweh is in Deuteronomy 31.18. Deuteronomy 31.18, where God tells Moses, the very man with whom he spoke face to face as a man speaketh with his friend. He says, after you die, this people is going to forget you and they'll forsake me and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them. This is known in Hebrew as the Hester Ponim, Hester Ponim, the hidden face of God. We know from the book of Esther that the name of God is not found in the whole book. Could I ask why? Could it be because the face of God was not sought? Oh, yes, there was prayer on the part of Esther and her maidens and even the whole nation, but it was just to save their own hide. They weren't too concerned about the manifest presence of God. The rabbis acknowledged that God was hiding his face from his people. Even the Feast of Purim is known as the holiday in hiding. It's interesting, the book of Esther is often glamorized in preaching and teaching and media but it really marks a low point in Israel's history when God's people had settled down into the world where they should have been seeing themselves as pilgrims and exiles. Yet God was merciful and long-suffering to them. And beloved, when we grow comfortable in the world, we will not seek God's face either. And yet he waits for us to miss him. And that brings me to the second thing that I, and I would like to emphasize this today, what should we do while God is hiding his face and while we're seeking his face for revival? The key word here is lament. Lament after God until he shows his face again. Could I ask you, when is the last time you heard a sermon on lamenting after God's manifest presence? I don't know about you, but I've never heard one. This does not fit the criteria for a, a good sermon. I don't think many seminaries teach this. And yet the Bible extols it. I'd like you to see one more verse, if I could. I'll quote a couple of others. But uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7, 1 Samuel, chapter 7. Let me give the setting here quickly. The ark of God, which symbolizes his presence, right? Jehovah's manifest presence has been absent from its place. And it says in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 7, that it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath Jearim, that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord for 20 years. Samuel waited to pray for Israel for 20 years. If you look at verse 5, I'm reminded of Mary and Joseph in this regard. The only thing recorded about Jesus, as a young person, is 
at age 12, as is recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 48. He stayed behind in Jerusalem when his parents were returning from the feast. They went a whole day without him. They didn't even miss him. <clears throat> they went a day's journey without missing Jesus. <clears throat> it's sad when some professing Christians can go a whole week without fellowship with the Lord and they don't miss him. But Mary and Joseph finally missed him. They came back and Mary spoke for both of them when she said, Son, why hast thou dealt thus with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. The word could be translated lamenting. And I looked this up and this, this spoke to my heart. I hope it will speak to yours. That word translated sorrowing is the same word in Luke chapter 16, verse 24, translated tormented. The rich man in hell, tormented in this flame. That's a deep, deep agony of spirit. James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Speak to those who have drifted from God. They're not getting their prayers answered anymore because they're too friendly with the world. And it says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Be afflicted is what the King James says. The New King James translates that lament. The same word I'm talking about, lament. The English Standard Version translates it, be wretched. And it goes on to say, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Isn't that just the opposite of the average pick-me-up message on Sunday morning? We want our morning to be turned to laughter. We want our heaviness to be turned to joy. Get a little relief from all the burdens and pressures of life. And yet the instructions of God here are just the opposite. Lament. Lament. I'll close with this illustration that really seals it with me. You'll pardon a personal illustration. In 1987, when I was a missionary in the Caribbean and hadn't been there very long, we just, it was a fledgling church plant, God blessed, and eventually it became a, a strong, viable ministry. But my parents and one of my sisters came down to visit us, the only time they were able to do so while we were there for 19 years. And in the excitement and the hectic pace of getting ready for church on Sunday morning with a large family and, and with these extra members, we had a baby who was just four months old, our youngest child. So we actually left our three-year-old son behind. We didn't discover it for 20 minutes. And we were almost at church or the place where we were meeting for church. We supposed him to have been in the company, just like Mary and Joseph supposed Jesus to have been with them. But I'll tell you what, once we discovered he wasn't with us, <clears throat> We retraced our footsteps, or should I say tire tracks, lamenting. It didn't matter what time church started that day. We were going to go home and get Chase and bring him back. We got home as quick as we could without breaking the speed limit, or maybe I did. I have to apologize for that. And there he was inside the door at the bottom of the steps with his security blanket. All that mattered was to recover the real presence of our boy Chase. I wonder how much we miss the manifest presence of our God. And while we are waiting on him to show his smiling, glowing, reconciled face, let's not do what so many do. They amuse themselves with diversions to take the edge off of their intensity of spirit and heaviness. 
Let's meditate on the glory of his face. Let's give ourselves to lamentings and thirstings and great searchings of heart, like the spouse in the Song of Solomon. She sought him whom her soul loved, but she found him not. She wasn't satisfied till she found him and held him fast. Beloved, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. May God keep that before us in these prayer gatherings. Thank you.